You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I can remember as a child, my mom warning me about calling people fools. You know, Jesus says some pretty strong words to those who call other people fools. So I remember my parents saying, be careful, uh, not, don't use that word. That's a, that's a very bad word to use. Now, you know, that word I knew even pretty young, there were words that I thought were worse. But nonetheless, you know, if Jesus said that, we ought to take it seriously. Now, the title of the sermon today is Don't Be a Fool. Now, realize I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just urging you not to become one. Okay? So I'm not calling any of you a fool, but I think God's word today can help us avoid foolishness. Now, let me just put it to you this way. It's not nice to call someone a fool. But how many times have you spoken out of turn, said something that you've regretted and realized in that moment, I believe the spirit convicted you that what you had said and what you had done was foolish. There have been many times where I've, I've left a meeting or got in my car and I'm just saying, I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I, I, I know better. Sometimes even just after a conversation with a family member or a friend, it is so easy to be foolish. And I don't know of a better topic in an election year than don't be a fool. <laughs> because... It is so easy to see the latest newsreel and to spout off uh, to friends and to family in multiple ways uh, about what you think. And I know what you think is important to you. But have you noticed how other people don't care as much about your opinion as you do? Many times I think we're being foolish because we, we pick fights and we start conversations that cannot end up in a good gospel place. And so today's message is to me very important for my own heart and I pray that it is good for your heart as well. If you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now we're gonna cover the story of the whole chapter, but first let me just read to you the opening verses, verses one, two, and three. And notice we start in a very sad place. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Let's pray. Lord, many times we as the people of God, we have not behaved like the people of God. Even when we know better, Lord, our sinful flesh often gets the better of us. And in our passage today, we see two examples of the flesh taking over. We see one example of what happens when we're filled with your spirit. God, I pray that we will learn to be filled with your spirit. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So very quickly, let me give you a quick rundown of the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel. Basically, it's like this. David is still on the run. He has had opportunities to kill Saul. In fact, the chapter before, he's had another one of those opportunities to kill Saul in a cave, but he's chosen not to do it. But he is desperate. He and his men are truly desperate. Out in the wilderness, they need supplies. They need food and water. They need some help. There's a very rich man by the name of Nabal. And he has everything that they need. He is a very wealthy man. He's been blessed with great resources. David and his men have been in the general area, but have not been raiding into Nabal's camp. They've been leaving him alone. In fact, they've served as a wall of protection against the raiders that lived in the area. So actually, David has been doing a silent favor for Nabal and his family. And so David assumes that Nabal knows this. He assumes that Nabal will be kind and generous and be hospitable, and he assumes incorrectly. When he sends men to Nabal to ask for a favor, Nabal is very rude and very short and very inhospitable, and David doesn't like it one bit. And he says, I'm going to go take care of this fool. And he gets ready to do that, but it's Abigail who comes into the picture as we go through the story, and she's the one that speaks common sense to David. She's the one who speaks truth ultimately to her husband. She's the one who shows us wisdom and maturity. And in the end, she helps David stay on target and on task for the will of God in his life. That's the story in general. Now let's fill it in a little bit. What we need to realize here as we come to a passage like this is we see that God is at work. God works in so many ways and often our hearts and minds, we're a little bit slow and we can easily miss it. The hand of providence though is all over this. You can't fail to notice that God is trying to teach everybody involved valuable lessons. Now, let's pause for a moment and just consider this. There is no such thing as a day that doesn't count in your life. Every day, even the ones that seem to be pretty slow and boring, God is at work. The problem is, is that we often fail to see God working. I think that's one of the primary lessons we can learn from this passage is God is always working, but we're often missing it. There's a clear tension in this passage uh, between those who are striving for earthly things and those who are in tune with spiritual things. For instance, Nabal's wealth is what keeps him from seeing the hand of God at work in David's life. But here's what's, what's wrong with David. David's cultural expectations of hospitality. Now, I know that most of us today, we don't get this. But in this culture, to be inhospitable was like one of the great sins. If you really wanted to get on people's bad side, you, were not, you would not be hospitable. You see this in the ancient Near East and all the cultures there. And so we read this and we see Nabal being kind of stingy. And we're like, well, that's what most of us would do. Well, that's because we don't have this cultural context. But let me tell you. David gets mad because of this. His cultural expectations are not met and he gets very, very angry. It is no small thing, brothers and sisters, for us to be able to see spiritual things in the material world. And I wanna say this, church, it takes a lot of time in the word and prayer for God to open our eyes to what he is doing. We do not wanna miss this reality from God's word today. Fools fail to see God at work. And listen to this. It is very easy to be a fool. 
it is very easy to be a fool and miss what God is doing. And the consequences of foolishness are devastating and even deadly. And I want to show you that today here in the scriptures. First, let's take a look at David. Usually, David has been for us as we've gone through these passages, these stories of David. He has been the exemplar. He's been the example. He's been the one that we look to for light and the path toward not only understanding who God is, but even pointing us to Jesus. Sadly, that is not the case today. We see here David as an imperfect instrument in the hand of providence. Now, when I say the hand of providence, know this, the hand of providence is perfect, but we as instruments in those hands are many times less than perfect. Anytime that we start to celebrate a, a minister or some, you know, like one, a person who's discipled us, if we lionize people too much, we're going to get in trouble always because we are all imperfect in, in many ways. God wants to use us, but many times, even though we've had the hand of God upon us, we fail. One of the reasons why David kept receiving favor from God, but it's because he was humble and he shows mercy. Again, let me just say this. It's, it's interesting. It's no mistake that the chapter before and the chapter after, David has opportunity to eliminate his enemy, Saul. And in both instances, he goes against common sense and spares Saul's life. So there you have bookends and you say, wow, this guy really loves God and is going to do the right thing. And then we come to this particular chapter and it's just the opposite. David's patience has been worn thin. He is sorely lacking patience and grace and mercy. And where he had extended mercy to Saul, in his mind, he would say, well, Saul is God's anointed, so I'm going to be gracious to him. But then he looks at Nabal and says, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. I'm going to kill him. Totally different mindset and not healthy, not spiritual. Now, for those of you who just think the Hebrew proper noun Nabal is a wonderful name, let me just tell you right now, don't name your child this. Because in Hebrew, it means fool or foolishness. Nabal's mama did not like him, okay? It's the only thing I can, I can figure here. In all seriousness, this may be an instance in scripture where an actual name is removed and, and another name is put in that really just uh, exemplifies his character more than his actual name. I don't know that that's the case. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe this was his name, but nevertheless, what we see here is not just Nabal being foolish, but we see David being impetuous. You know, I can kind of get where David's at. I mean, if you've been protecting this man's life and fortune for many months, and then if you look in verses 15 and 16, when he, when he sends his men to Nabal, David's men go to Nabal, and they basically are told by Nabal, you know, you guys are just a bunch of vagabonds led by a vagabond. You guys are just a bunch of trash out there floating in the desert. Why do you think I want to help you? Now, keep in mind that that trash in the desert has been taking care of your treasure. Don't, 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 don't forget that. But Nabal, I guess he didn't realize that. He didn't want to know that. He was foolish. And David was, in a sense, rightly indignant. I mean, come on. When someone behaves this way, it's not easy to handle. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. Be careful with your anger. 
In Christianity, you'll hear people sometimes talk about righteous indignation. But the problem is, is that it is very hard to remain righteous and indignant at the same time. When you start to lose your cool, you start to lose your spirituality pretty quick too. Now, let me just say this. David here, he determines because of Nabal's foolishness to burn him to the ground. And I just have to tell you, in terms of ministry, when you determine that you're going to burn people to the ground, you've lost Jesus in all this. When your ministry plan is, I'm going to burn them to the ground, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here's a man who many times in his life has been filled with the spirit, but here he is far from the spirit. Beware that even if you've been following God a long time, even if you've met with a lot of spiritual success, it doesn't guarantee that when someone pushes the right buttons on you, you won't lose it. It's very easy to do. And in churches, what this does is, is it causes so much discouragement. People get so upset Anger nearly makes David as foolish as the fool of our story. And I wonder how many times our anger has done this same disservice to our own souls. Friends, don't let your anger lead you astray. One of the biggest challenges for you to grow in Christ is to grow more in your understanding of your own heart. David, when he is right... He is right because he's reflected upon his own sinfulness. He's turned his heart to God. He has sought after God with all of his heart. And that's what makes him do good things. But when even for a moment he loses track of God's work in his life, he turns on a dime. And all of a sudden you see a person go from humble to hot-headed, from being wise to being a warmonger. That's what happens. Church, listen to me. We have a witness that we need to represent to the community. And each one of us play a part in that witness. But it only takes a moment of anger to lose all the traction you have at your office. All the traction you have in your classroom. All the traction you've had with those who you're trying to lead to Christ. Be careful. Anger destroys your witness more than any secular ideology. More than any outside influence from the wicked negative world that's out there. Many times the biggest stumbling block is the hypocrisy of believers. Now let me say this, it is impossible for us to live without hypocrisy because we are sinners. From time to time, we are not going to be able to match up. But listen to me, in the moment that you realize your foolishness there, turn to Jesus, ask for help, and he will give it to you. It isn't until the end of our passage, verses 32 through 35, that David realizes how serious this was. He realizes at the end of the chapter that had he given in to his anger, that God's hand would have been removed from him. This actually becomes like one of the great temptation moments in David's life. Had he done things his way, he would have ended up just like Saul. When Saul got mad at people, he killed them. The priest of Nob in chapter 22, just three chapters before this, we see Saul getting mad at priests who do nothing wrong, but they're not doing what he wants them to do. And so he has them slaughtered, 80 something of them. That's what kings did in those days. David was about to become like those kings. And praise the Lord, he didn't. We'll see in a moment why he didn't. It wasn't because he was clever. It wasn't because he was close to God in this moment. It was because God was watching out for him and sent him someone with some wisdom. But friends, how quickly we assume we know what God wants. Just remember, 
You are an imperfect instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. Now let's look at Nabal for a little while. Let's take a, a look at him. He is a fool who, can, who cannot see God at work. Now David is not a fool and he has seen God at work, but we've already mentioned he kind of missed the boat here in this passage. But Nabal is a little different altogether. Here is a man who is prosperous in the wilderness. Now let me tell you, when I drive through a state like Illinois, I was in Illinois this week and driving through those beautiful farm fields with that dark, rich soil, you say, okay, I could see how you could make some money with farm ground this fertile and rich. I've been in other places in the country that were more rock farms than dirt farms, and I don't see how you would make money. Well, this is more like a rock farm, and yet Nabal had been very successful. He comes from a proud heritage. He was a descendant of Caleb. Did you notice that? It said he was a Calebite. So he had a proud history. He had been very successful. In fact, the world would have looked at Nabal and said, well, this guy's no fool at all. He's able to make money in the wilderness. This guy is special. He has great gifts, but here's what's really interesting. Look at verse 11. If you have your copy of scripture open, let me tell you about Nabal. He was a success, but all of his successes set him up for failure. He had a proud heritage, yes. He had the ability to prosper, absolutely, but he was a self-confident man. Look at verse 11. When he's talking to David's men, he says, why do I want to give you my bread, my water, my meat, my shearers? It's all about me. He's been successful, but he's forgotten where the success comes from. He doesn't see God at work in his life. He just believes he's been hard at work. Friends, I don't care who you are or how successful you've been. Everything you've got that is good comes from the bountiful hand of the Lord. And the second you miss that, you become a fool. Nabal teaches us that, sadly, in a negative way. Now, in a sense, we could say that Nabal suffers from, if we were going to use modern psychology here, he has a narcissistic behavioral pattern. Now, I know you've never known anybody like that. The my, me, mine uh, disease. But that's his issue. On the most basic level, his sin against David is that he is not hospitable. But really, his heart is much, much more uh, messed up than that. Here is a man who is not just selfish, but he is ignorant. He doesn't see God work. Now, it is very clear as I've read these, these passages again and again the last few weeks, that anybody that was paying attention in Israel would have known that God was at work in David's life. It didn't take a genius or a spiritual guru to look at David and say, he is prospering because God's hand is upon him. Nabal didn't have to look far to see and to hear stories about even how Samuel, now we already said Samuel has died, but I think that it had kind of got through the grapevine. I've seen a couple hints in the text that it was common knowledge. You see it all the way into 2 Samuel, someone like Abner, who is the right-hand man of Saul. He knows that David's been anointed by Samuel. Everybody knows that according to God, David is the king. But many people didn't want what God wanted. And so they chose to stick with Saul. I think in this moment, Nabal, if he wanted to know, he could have known. Maybe he didn't. But let me tell it to you like this. The problem, as always, is sin. Sin dulls us in every conceivable way. The more we sin, the less we see God at work. Why was Nabal a fool? 
Well, I believe he was a fool because he had lost his faith. His faith in God, his faith in this passage is clearly in his own abilities, in his own uh, capacities. But in the end, he was foolish because he was selfish. He had forgotten who was in charge. And eventually this excess kills him. In verses 37 and 38, he throws a big party. He gets full of wine. And then his wife comes and tells him what she's done, which that's sort of the rest of the story. She, she basically realizes that Nabal had done a very dumb thing. And so she reaches out to David and feeds his men, he and his men and their families. And then she tells Nabal this and it says his heart turned to stone within him. Now, I don't know what the medical issue is here, but basically he just dried up and died. God punished him as it should be. As as opposed to David doing it, God took care of it. But again, here's what's sad. Here's a man who should have known that what he had was from God, should have realized the hand of work, a hand of God at work in David's life, and he didn't. It's interesting, one Old Testament scholar puts it like this. The Bible tells us of Nabal's possessions before we learn of his person. His life was determined by his property. This man was foolish. Like the story that Jesus tells of the rich man who bragged about all the barns that he had and then his soul was required of him. The same kind of thought there of foolishness. Don't be like Nabal. Don't be that person who can't see God because when you can't see God moving, your soul is dying. When you fail to see day after day after day, the hand of God at work in your life, that means there is something desperately wrong with your soul. And this is a danger for those in the church, not just for those who are outside the church. So often we have a gear called our church life and we shift into that gear and we go do what we're supposed to. We do the right things, but we don't necessarily seek God. It is easy to do and it is foolish. Don't be foolish. Don't spend your time thinking about what you have, who you are, what you're going to do. We spend so much of our day in a self-centered bubble, but when we are truly being used of God, our thoughts are often drifting towards him and towards the needs of others. One of the great dangers, one of the warning signs, lights on the dashboard of your soul, when you're not thinking of God and others on a regular basis, that means that you're thinking about, oh, number one, and that's foolishness. And that can lead to death. Friends, it's okay to be blessed with material things. It's okay to have, have gifts that lead to success in a worldly sense. That is not a bad thing. But what happens is if that becomes your thing, then that's foolishness. Very quickly, let's talk about Abigail. She is a wise woman of faith. She is the the heroine of our story. She comes in and saves the day. So literally between an angry warrior and a foolish businessman is a wise woman of faith. Her name means father's joy. Abigail means father's joy. And it seems fitting. She becomes an instrument of God. She must have been imperfect too. Don't get me wrong. But in this instance, she is the one that God uses. Let me show you one little, again, for time's sake, we only have a second here. But look at verse 29. When David is about ready to go kill somebody, literally, Nabal, it's 
Abigail who reminds David that he is an instrument of grace. Notice in that passage the reference to a sling. Do you see that? That is a very clever way of her preaching to David and putting him in his place. What she says basically is this. Don't forget that God takes little shepherd boys with slings and defeats giants. That's what verse 29 is saying. Abigail is the best friend David could have because Abigail knows that God is at work in David's life and knows that David cannot cut corners, that he can't take his eyes off of the prize. He must remain faithful to his God if he is going to be a faithful shepherd of the people. Those who are wise among us will not let us take our eyes off the places in our lives where God is at work. We need people in this room who are able to come alongside other Christians and say, don't give up. I see God at work in this part of your life. Your ministry of encouragement many times is to just state the very, very obvious. If you know somebody in the church that's doing a great work, but you've been like, ah, you know, everybody's always bragging to them. They know they're doing a good job. I'm not going to pile on. They don't need that. That is is so untrue. If the spirit of God tells you to go encourage another believer, you better do it. Because I'm going to tell you, there have been times where I have needed that word so desperately and and it came out of the blue and it came from unexpected quarters and what was a very dark moment, some light came in. Don't ever miss the moment to be that encourager. That's what Abigail is doing here. She, She does some good things. Everything in verses 28 through 32 that's attached to her is said to be good where everything that Nabal does is said to be bad. But the difference here is, is that she's just allowing her faith to guide her actions. And when faith is guiding your actions, you will be a great encourager to the people around you. And again, I can't say this enough. We need that kind of encouragement. Abigail ends up being a part of David's family. She is brought into the Davidic household and God takes care of her even as her husband passes away. There's tragedy in this story, but there's also some amazing beauty and we see God at work. But again, two thirds of our story is about foolishness. So what that tells me, and I'm not going to make this mathematical, but I would say that it's fair to say that two thirds of the time, we're pretty foolish. That, that maybe if we're lucky a third of the time, right? Uh, we're, we're doing things that, that are not foolish, but the difference maker really is our faith. Let me say it again. God is always at work. He wants to work through you and through me. But will we want to join him in that work? Abigail joined the Lord in that work. And eventually David caught on too. But the easiest thing in the world to do is to miss the mighty work of God. One of the things I've been saying again and again and again is that I don't know how many more years that God's gonna give me in ministry, but what I know for sure is, whether it's a day or another 30 years, I don't wanna miss the work of God. And we must all yearn to see the work of God. And if we do anything less than that, that is foolishness. There is no time to play the fool when the world needs people of faith. There is no time for you and me to continue in our spiritual foolishness when there are those who need faith. Anger, 
and sin, anger on David's part, and then just sin on Nabal's part, rob us of revival. Take away what we need. Actions motivated by faith will allow us to join the work of God. And that's what we're inviting you to do even today. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.